Thank you so much for coming. This is a wonderful uh, group of people. Last Wednesday, pickings were kind of lean. So I was thinking I was losing my mojo. So, uh, but, uh, so I have faith again in humanity. Thank you so much for being here. And uh, would you stand with me, please? Jude, verse 8. Uh, I could say chapter 1, but there's only one chapter in Jude. So we'll just say Jude, verse 8. Likewise, also, these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses. Durst not bring against, we don't, what's durst mean anyway? I would assume it mean does. We just don't talk like this anymore, do we? That's a stained glass English right there, man. Durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke thee. But these speak evil of those things which they know not. But what they know naturally as brute beast in those things they corrupt themselves. I am not going to even try to pretend like I'm an authority on this. But this verse, verse 9, has intrigued me for a long time. So I introduced it last week. I'll continue it this week. I will continue to teach you on something called interrupted ministry. Interrupted ministry. You may be seated. What, what was it about the physical body of Moses that was so important that Satan picked a fight over it? What in the world was it? And um, this is Bible study. I am not going to treat you like kindergarten tonight. It is my personal contention that sermonettes create Christianettes. And so uh, strong meat belongeth to them who by reason of use have their senses. So get your mask and fins on tonight because we're going deep into the word of the Lord. Okay? And it's just, um, these are verses that uh, will throw you a curveball. If you're not an avid student or reader of the Bible, my question this this is the only place in the Bible where this is mentioned that Michael and Satan were fighting over the body of Moses. It there's nowhere else in the Bible even close to this. And uh, my my question was simple: Where in the world did Jude get his information from? And uh, I think one of the answers is found in Matthew chapter 13. In Matthew 13 and verse 55, it says, Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers, James, Joseph? Joseph is simply another name for Joseph, which would make perfect sense. James, let's say Joseph, and Simon, and Judas, or as in, in so many other verses, Jude. Um, when Jesus was ministering, they said this, your mother and your brothers are without. In other words, 
they didn't come to Bible class. And uh, uh, you have a popular religion um, that has made such a big deal about Mary. Um, we had a guest in our house one time. Not one time, but he was there on repeated occasions. Very, very devout man. And, and I asked him, David, why do you keep coming to my house? And he was not a young man, but he said this. All my life, Pastor Hoffman, all I've ever heard about was Mary and the saints. But when I come to your house, all I ever hear you talk about is Jesus and the Bible. And he said, I don't know anything about Jesus and the Bible. All I know is Mary and the saints. Very wonderful man, very sincere man. There is a, I won't go through all the history I could, but there is a mother-child cult that's all through history. And um, the, the, the concept of Mary and Jesus is just the latest morph of that thing. Um, basically, there was a debate in the early church. Two guys, Arius and Athanasius. Arius said Jesus was a man. All he was just a man. Athanasius said he was God. Well, Athanasius won the debate. <clears throat> they burned Arius at the stake, which was quite, quite an incentive to win the argument. You know, <clears throat> Thus you have what's known as the Athanasian Creed. Very God of very God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, co-equal, co-eternal, co-majestic. So then if Jesus was all God and Mary gave birth to him, then Mary's the mother of God. So before you talk to the boy, you got to go to mama first. And that's where all that comes from. Jesus... They said, your mother and your brothers are with. He said, who is my mother? He said, whoever hears the word of the Lord and obeys it, that's my mother. As I've taught you on many occasions, and I don't want to reinvent the wheel here, the church is our mother. He is our father. That's why we call ourselves brothers and sisters. And... Um, it was a great day when Mary gave birth to Jesus. However, it was a greater day when he gave birth to her. Mary, if you study the book of Acts chapter 1, was there on the day of Pentecost and was a part of that original 120, about 120, that were filled with the Holy Spirit. So Mary needed the Holy Ghost just like everybody else. That doesn't sound like she's special. That doesn't mean that she needs more veneration. In fact, you won't find any place in the Bible where she was given any kind of special place or special title or special job. Um, <clears throat> it was kind of cool, you know, when you stay the book of Acts. 
Jesus said, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost part of the earth. Acts 1 and 8. So, Jerusalem is a city. It's the capital of what we would call Judea. Samaria is a, let, let's say uh, you're going to be in Grand Rapids, and then you're going to be in Michigan, and then you're going to be in Wisconsin, and then you're going to be everywhere else. It's basically what it's saying. You're going to be witnesses unto me in a city in Jerusalem, and then you're going to be a witness to me into that county or state, whatever, around that city, Judea. Then you're going to hop the state line. You're going to be in Samaria. Then we're going everywhere. If you study the book of Acts, that's exactly what happened. In the book of Acts chapter 8, it said there was persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem, except the apostles. You know your Bible. Uh, I I can't remember if it's five or six, but um, church is growing. Religious people are intimidated. They start beating and jailing the disciples. And a wise guy by the name of Gamaliel, who interestingly enough was the guy that Paul studied under, very respected theologian, he said, look guys, if it's, don't you remember our past? And he talked about these guys, Judas of Galilee and Thetis. He said, don't you, he said, look, if it's not of God, we don't have anything to worry about. He said, if it is of God, we just might be fighting against God. So he said, leave these guys alone. So the original disciples, basically, they get a get out of jail card. But everybody else is open season. And uh, that's why it says in Acts 8, churches persecute except the apostles. When I was a kid, I was a pyromaniac. And uh, I would take one match. I would take it in the woods and I'd build a fire. And then I'd stomp it out to it just was a coal. And then I'd build another fire, and I'd stomp it out, and I'd kept that process going. This is kind of like what happened in the early church. There's this fire of revival going on, and they stomped on it, and the sparks went everywhere, and all of a sudden, you got a forest fire. Um, why would you want to leave the church in Jerusalem anyway? I mean, think of it. You got Mary there, man. That had to be really cool. Tell me some story. What was he like when he was a kid, you know? Uh, you got Lazarus there. You, you got the, the 11 of those original 12. I mean, what a church staff. I mean, I wouldn't have wanted to leave that church either. <laughs> but the, where the Lord was, you're not just supposed to stay in Jerusalem. You're supposed to go everywhere else. And um, <clears throat> who is my mother? Uh, see, the principle is, is that somehow God was going to have to get flesh because God is spirit. A spirit doesn't have a body, doesn't have flesh and bone, it says, as you see me have. If it doesn't have flesh and bone, it don't have blood. And there's only one legal liquid that can deal with sin, and that's blood. If God remains spirit, he can't help any of us. So God gets a body. And the blood of that body shed for us on the cross gives us something known as redemption. Uh, Purchased. The Bible said you were bought with a price. 
precious blood of Jesus Christ. And so, um, the concept, you know, is somehow we're going to have to get the holy on this earth. Somehow we're going to have to get the holy in flesh. That's the principle. Now, how you get that done could vary. But the Bible said the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary. She was found with child of the Holy Ghost. I don't want to get sidetracked with this, but who is the father of the son anyway? Is the father the father of the son or is the Holy Ghost the father of the son? It gets confusing if you think they're separate persons. However, Mary was a means to get the holy to the earth. There's a story in the Old Testament about a, Moses made a snake out of brass. And he put it on a pole. He said God sent vipers, rattlesnakes, biting people. They're dying. He said, okay, all you got to do is look at the snake that's on the pole. If you just look at it, it'll be anti-venom. You won't die. And there was people so stinking stubborn, they wouldn't look at the snake and they died. 690 years later, somebody found that snake. Bought it in a garage sale, whatever. And said, this is one of the gods that got us out of Egypt. And they started burning incense to it. And there was this young king named Hezekiah. And he broke it up, said, it's just a, it's a bunch of junk. It's a piece of brass. I'm glad. See, I, remember Jesus said when the rooster crows three times? Remember that story? He said, you know, I, I, I'll never desert you. He said, oh, yeah, you will. He said, when the rooster crows three times, you've already denied me three times, which is See, I'm surprised somebody didn't find that rooster and stuff that dude. Say, this is the rooster that preached Peter under conviction. That donkey that spoke to a guy named Balaam. I'm surprised somebody didn't stuff that donkey. Put it in headquarters in St. Louis, Missouri. This is the mule that spoke to Balaam. It doesn't matter how he got here. What matters is that he's here. And what he says is, she got me here. Now that I'm here, you listen to me and you forget about her. Grateful for my mom, but my mom got the holy here. Now you listen to what I have to say. And if you listen to me, you'll be just as great as my mom is. Because whoever hears the word of the Lord and obeys it, that's my family. That's my mother. Here's this guy. Two books in the, Old Testament, or in the New Testament. James and Jude. Towards the end of the New Testament. These are the guys that are mentioned in Matthew 13 and 55. These are two of his half-brothers. James, which it's basically undisputed. James became what we would call the pastor 
were the bishop of the church in Jerusalem, which they said was over 50,000 people. Jude writes this one chapter. Where in the world did Jude ever get that information? Nobody else knew it. Nobody else writes about it. Nobody else talks about it. Michael and Satan fought over Moses' body. I think the the answer is obvious when you consider who Jude's half-brother was, who doesn't just have knowledge, (laughs) he is knowledge. I'm convinced Jesus told Jude something that nobody else knew, and Jude wrote it down. I tried to give you some examples last week. Most people know that Noah was a carpenter, but a lot of people don't know Noah was a preacher. And you wouldn't know that if you stayed in the Old Testament. But you will learn that if you read what Peter called Noah a preacher of righteousness. Jude, later on in verse 14, calls Enoch a prophet. Nowhere else in the Bible is Enoch referred to as a prophet. Have you ever heard this phrase? It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Who said that? Does anybody know who said that? Jesus said that. But where is it written that Jesus said that? It's in the book of Acts. It's not in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. It's in the book of Acts 20 and verse 35. And guess who said it? Paul. Not Peter. And if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul said, I met him like one born out of due season. That doesn't mean anything until you, try to, until you study Acts 9. In Acts 9, Saul of Tarsus, or Paul, one is his Jewish name, the other is his Roman name, same guy, on his way to put Christians in prison, and as he said, he killed people. He gets knocked off his horse, and he said, who in the world are you? He said, I'm Jesus. Well, guess what? Jesus is already gone. Jesus has already left. I, I did a fascinating, I thought it was fascinating, it was to me anyway. There's so many times in the Bible he is referred to as Jesus Christ. Jesus is Jesus of Nazareth. Christ is Christos, which means the Messiah, the anointed one. Look at the order of the words, Jesus Christ. The disciples knew him in that order. When they first met him, he was just Jesus of Nazareth. But after he resurrected, they realized, thou art the Christ. And that's what made Peter's confession so great, because he knew that before. But that's how they met him. First, they met him as the man from Nazareth, Jesus. And then he was the Christ when he resurrected. But when you read the writings of Paul, most of the time, Paul doesn't refer to him as Jesus Christ. He refers to him as Christ Jesus. Because when he met him, he wasn't meeting the man from Nazareth. The first introduction he had to the Lord was on the Damascus Road. And he'd already ascended. He was already resurrected. He met him as Christ first. And then Jesus second. And... 
Listen to this verse. This is Galatians 1 and 17. Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Here's verse 18, the next verse. Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter, and I was basically with him for two weeks. When, when Paul was prayed for by Ananias, he tells me he went away for three years, studied and prayed, and then after three years came back and he said how he basically compared what he felt the revelation of the Spirit had taught him while he was alone with Peter so that they were all on the same page. So when it says in Acts 20 and verse 35, the Lord said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. It's really possible. He, was, he wasn't a part of those 12. He, he, he didn't hear Jesus teach that. Where did he learn it at? I think he got it by revelation. I asked the question. Bible talks in the book of Exodus how Moses disputed with these magicians in front of Pharaoh. But that's all it says. But if you look at 2 Timothy 3 and 8, it gives us their names. Janus and Jambres. That's New Testament stuff. How, how did Paul learn that? Did he learn it by revelation? Did God reveal that to him while he was in study? Most of you know about a guy by the name of Elijah, which will play a big part in our Bible study tonight. He prophesied that it wasn't going to rain for three and a half years. It's nowhere in the Old Testament. But it is found in the New Testament in James 5 and verse 17. These, these were all amazing things to me. But I, I'm not here tonight to rehash last week. we got lots of ground to cover. Because my message really centers around this. It appears to me that the ministry of Moses was interrupted. And Satan did everything he could to keep that ministry in mothballs. He did everything he could to stop the ministry of Moses from going on. But in fact, the plan of the Lord was there were many other things that Moses was yet to do. And when we apply it to our own lives, there's an enemy of our soul who wants to stop the ministry of the Lord in your life. And you cannot allow him to put your ministry on hold. We need to finish what God's called us to do. You know, and uh, I, I always enjoy Bible study a lot because as many of you know by now, I, I am prone to having four stories going on at one time. And uh, in your Bible, if you have a Bible with you tonight, it's just one piece of paper. You go to Malachi chapter 4, Matthew chapter 1, between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament, usually there's one piece of paper. But if you know your Bible, that one piece of paper is one very long piece of paper. 
It's 400 silent years. And um, uh, after four, <laughs> 400 years of dead church, no anointing, no conviction, no praise singers, John the Baptist shows up. The lesson to me is obvious. You ever heard about a place in Dyersburg, Iowa? Does anybody know what Dyersburg, Iowa is famous for? Does anybody know? If you do, say it. There's a farmer who built a baseball field in the middle of a corn patch in Dyersburg, Iowa. People thought he was crazy, but he said he had an epiphany. He said he heard a voice that said, if you build it, they'll come. And come they have. Because today, that ball field is on the bucket list of not just baseball fans, but there's a lot of curious others that have gone there just to see this ball field in the middle of a cornfield. And you're probably saying, oh, come on, Pat. What in the world Dyersburg, Iowa have anything to do with this Bible class? My point is obvious. Get anointed and they'll come. <laughs> I was criticized several years ago by someone who I personally think was very jealous of, of me and this church. And uh, um, there, there were a lot of people and it's continued people coming. There's people that didn't know God, people that did know God, people that have come from other churches. And uh, they were criticizing me, and I felt my answer was inspired. I said, I don't steal saints. I grow good grass. No Twitter, no Internet, no Facebook. But John the Baptist got a crowd quick. I'll tell you why. Because they were hungry to hear fresh revelation and to feel the presence of God. And you know what? They still are. If you'll build it, they'll come. If we'll pray and believe, and people come, they're going to learn something, they're going to feel something, they'll come back. Listen to the question that the religious leaders asked John the Baptist. He's got this crowd, one in 19. And this is the record of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? And he confessed and said, I'm not the Christ. 21, are you Elijah? No, I'm not Elijah. Listen to this. Are you that prophet? Are you the other guy? No. Then they said to him, well, then who are you? That we can give an answer that sent us. What, what sayest of thyself? Here are three things that John the Baptist said. Number one, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the Christ. Okay? Second thing is, are you Elijah? No, I'm not Elijah. What an interesting question. This is end of the Old Testament. Malachi 4 and 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet. Before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. This is the second. This, the first time Jesus came was not dreadful. This is talking about when he returns. 
It's saying that when he comes back the second time, I'm going to send Elijah. John came in the power of Elijah, but, but he, he, wasn't, he wasn't the person of Elijah. If you uh, uh, have ever, if you ever get a chance to go to a Seder, to a Passover in an Orthodox Jewish home, you go. But you're going to see something really strange. There's an empty chair at the head of the table. You know who it's for? Elijah. All Orthodox Jews know Elijah's got to come back before the Messiah shows up. And these guys say, are you the Christ? Nope. Are you Elijah? No. Are you the other prophet? Which is a great question. Who's the other prophet? They all knew who they were talking about. But when we read it, we're going, hmm. I'm not that other prophet. Who is the other prophet? Listen to Deuteronomy 18 and verse 15. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee of thy brethren. Like unto me, unto him you shall hearken. According to all that thou desirest of the Lord thy God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, neither let me see this great fire any more that I die not. And the Lord said unto me, They have well spoken that which they have spoken. I will raise them up a prophet from among their brothers, like unto me. I'll put words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. There's five books in the beginning. It's called the Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy's got 34 chapters. If you know your Bible, it's the last sermon of Moses. Moses is talking about himself that I was in front of that fire, that bush that was on fire, and God called me. I am convinced, and I'll prove it to you tonight, in the other guy, the other prophet, is Moses. These religious leaders had three questions. Are you the Christ? Are you Elijah? Or are you Moses? Moses and Elijah are expected. They know they're going to show up one day. So I want to study, just read to you, Numbers 20. I want to know why Moses got in trouble. Numbers 20, verse 7. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take the rod, gather the assembly together, you and your brother, Speak, speak unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth his water, and thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock, so thou shalt give the congregation and their beast drink. Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him, and Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock. And he said unto them, Hear now, you rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod, he smote the rock twice. 
The water came out abundantly and the congregation drank and their beast. And the Lord spoke unto Moses and Aaron, because you believed me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you will not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. Now, if you read Exodus 17, they have just come out of Egypt. They're thirsty. And Moses struck the rock and water came out of it. We're not in Exodus 17. We're way past that in Numbers. They need water again. The Lord said, speak to the rock. Moses has been out of shape. I mean, he calls them a bunch of rebels. You bunch of heathens. And just took that rod and hit that rock twice. Water came out. And all over the Lord and said, Foul, you're done, boy. You're done. I wish I had time, but I'm going to say this to you right now. This is Proverbs 6. These six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven, are an abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, Heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. Feet that are swift in running to mischief. A false witness that speaks lies. And he that soweth discord among brethren. There have been times pastoring this church when I literally have felt the rage of God come through me. I'm not talking about me being mad. I'm talking about God being mad and me sensing that. We had a woman here one time who just picked off weak men one after another in this congregation. And I basically threw her out. And um, there were people that was so, thought that was so mean. I literally felt the anger of God directed towards that woman. God was mad and so was I. There are two other options. There can be times when he's mad and I'm not. There can be times when I'm mad and he isn't. Both of these are what the word calls a false witness. If God's mad and I keep preaching nice stuff to you, everything's cool. I'm not being a true witness. If I convey something that isn't his opinion of the thing. You get what I'm talking about? If I'm mad and God isn't, that ain't right. If God's mad and I'm not warning you, that ain't right. That's one of the burdens of leadership. See, sheep get sheared twice a year in the natural. I personally think it's enough in the spiritual. <laughs> this one needs a haircut. Okay. I heard a pastor one time tell me, boy, I skinned a sheep, Brother Hoffman. And I said, you're stupid. He was so offended when I said that. I said, brother, you can shear sheep twice a year, but you can only skin them once. And probably about twice a year, 
People are going to think I'm anointed. I'm not more anointed. I'm just mad. I'm going to shear you. Because <laughs> it's time. Moses is mad. You bunch of rebels. And he struck the rock. The truth was God wasn't upset with the people. Moses was. It's a false witness. You know what God said? You didn't believe me. I'm putting you in the penalty box. His ministry's over. Listen, this is Deuteronomy. This is Moses talking. And I besought the Lord at that time saying, O Lord God, thou hast begun to show thy servant thy greatness and thy mighty hand for what God is there in heaven or in earth that can do according to thy works and according to thy might. I pray thee, come on, God, let me go over the river. Let me lead these people to, and see the good land that is beyond Jordan and goodly mountain and Lebanon. But the Lord was mad with me for your sakes and would not hear me. And the Lord said unto me, let it suffice thee, speak no more unto me of this matter. Get you up to the top of Pisgah, lift up thine eyes westward and northward and southward and eastward and behold it with thine eyes, for thou shalt not go over this Jordan. But charge Joshua and encourage him and strengthen him, for he shall go over before this people and he shall cause them to inherit the land which thou see. In other words, your ministry's done. All I'm telling you to do is get the next guy ready. You get Joshua ready because you're not leading. I mean, we're talking 80 years here. All done in a moment because he struck the rock two times. Watch, this is 1 Kings. Well, I'll read from 19. Everybody knows, most people know 1 Kings 18. Elijah calling fire down from heaven. All right? At, at, watch, watch. Here's 19 in verse 13. And it was so when Elijah heard it. What, 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 what did he hear? You know, this old bag. Jezebel said, I'm going to kill you. He wrapped his face in a mantle and went out and stood in the entering of the cave. And a voice came to him and said, what are you, what are you doing here, preacher? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down your orders, slain your prophets with the sword. I'm the only one left and they're trying to kill me. And the Lord said, get out of the stupid cave, go back to Damascus. And when you come, you do this. You anoint Haziel to be king over Syria and Jehu, the son of Nimshai, shall thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphet of whatever that is, shall thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Haziel shall Jehu slay. Him that escapeth the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal and every mouth which didn't kiss him. This guy's feeling sorry for himself. Some people say eight. I can find seven for sure. Seven notable miracles this guy has done. One old blabbermouth woman. 
I'm going to kill you. Now he's in a cave, scared to death. <laughs> 450 prophets of Baal he wasn't afraid of. Prayed a simple prayer and fire came down from heaven. But that one old bag opens her mouth and he goes into a hole. And you know what the God says? I'm done with you. I tell you what, you anoint this king over Israel, you anoint this king over Judah, and you go anoint Elisha. He's, going, he's your assistant pastor. He's going to pastor the church now. So his ministry's over. And just like Moses, who was instructed, your next job is to prepare your successor. It's the same thing God did to Elijah. I'm done with you. Because you're so stupid after everything I've done for you and you feel so sorry for yourself. I'm the only one. I got 7,000, dummy, that have not bowed a knee. Your math's bad. Elijah, your ministry's over. Elisha's ready. Second Kings 2 and 1. It came to pass when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind. That Watch this. That Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. It's easy to get their names con confused. First guy, J. Elijah, Elisha. He tries to shake the young guy off. And the sons of the prophets that were at Bethel came to Elisha and said, Knowest not, knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he said, Yeah, I know it. I, I, I used to, I don't know if he's still alive. There was a preacher came from Ohio. His name was Scotty Teets. And he's just a, he'll, no, he originally came from Indianapolis. Told me as a kid, he would go to Calvary Tabernacle and throw, they didn't have air conditioning back then. He'd throw cats through the open window when they were having church in Calvary Tabernacle. <laughs> just raised on the streets. He ended up being a missionary and ended up in New York City. And he told me a story I'll never forget. He he, he had a, a, a minister come to New York City and he said, we're in Times Square. I've been to Times Square. It's noisy. He said, Harold, we're in Times Square. And the guy said, I hear a cricket. And he said, what? He said, I hear a cricket. And there was a flower box made out of concrete. And the guy went over and started pulling the flowers apart and reached in and said, see, and he said, how in the world did you hear a cricket in the middle of Times Square? He said, because I'm raising a country. I hear crickets all the time. I'm used to hearing crickets. So I knew what I was hearing in the midst of all these horns and all this. I heard a cricket. He said, watch. He said, you always are going to hear what you're waiting to hear, what you're looking for. And he reached into his pocket and pulled out a bunch of change and threw it on the sidewalk and created a chaos. People heard that money hitting the street and they're looking for that. And he said, see, it's what they're waiting for. It's what they're listening for. Didn't matter whether they saw it or not. They heard it and knew that's quarters. The Lord's coming. What are we listening for? I, I, I'm this far away, this far away from throwing my phone away. 
and I want two things on my computer. I want, a, I want a, what's known as a page program where I can write things, and I want what's known as a cordage program, my Bible program. I'm done with this world. These people are stupid. They're stupid. There's an old saying, fell out of a stupid tree and hit every limb on the way down. I just want to look at these politicians and say, when was the last time anybody just took a shovel and hit you in the face? We are trusting you to leave. Sunday, we saw it Sunday. I did something, threw you a curveball. We have a thing called a connect time. Most of the time, it's just bells dingling and blah, blah, blah. And I said, not today. We're doing how beautiful, America the beautiful. Find me Ray Charles. And that's what happened Sunday. And it's probably going to keep on happening. I am sick and tired of people dissing my country. I am sick and tired of people saying, America's bad. America's bad. America's bad. I'm tired of that. So it's, I've been careful about who's in this pulpit. You know that. I've made a few mistakes through the years, but not a lot. Whoever gets up here. I, I, I want them to echo the message that I want you to hear. That's true. I just am. I jealously guard that. I want you to hear that. So when you come to church, you're not just going to hear Bible. You're going to hear, oh, beautiful. For spacious skies. For amber ways of grain. Purple mountain majesty. See, I wouldn't even have this name if my uncle wouldn't have died in Italy on the invasion. I'm proud of this country. I'm grateful. Knock it all you want. But we've done more for the kingdom of God than any country in the civilized world. And if you don't believe that, just go. Just go. I mean that. Do not buy into this woke foolishness. Because if you go woke, you go and broke. All right. I'm serious. And it's just this, this, we are bombarded with garbage day after day after day after day after day. He's trying to shake this guy off. I don't know what it means. It's this Old Testament Bible school. They're called the sons of the prophets. They come up to Elisha and said, hey, guess what? Pastor's leaving today. He said, I know. How did you know that? I say that to the church right now. The Lord's coming. I know. Why? I got that thing inside of me, man. See, see, all the virgins were asleep. Not just the ones without oil, the ones with the oil. It wasn't the bridegroom. Somebody other than the bridegroom said, wake up. He's here. He's here right now. He's coming. That's what I want to be. That's what I want this church to be. I know a lot of people without Holy Ghost and I know people with Holy Ghost and they're both asleep. Somebody other than the bridegroom and someone other than them sleeping non-spirit filled and even sleeping spirit filled. There's got to be somebody aware. I feel this. I know he's coming. He's coming. He's coming. Do you know that? Yeah, I know that. 
Elisha said unto him, Elisha, tarry here. Nope. Nope. I'm not going to do it. Look at verse six. Just stay right here. Three different times. Just stay here. Nope. I'm not doing it. I'm going to be like a pit bull on a hand bone, boss. I'm your shadow. Because the promise was, if I see you go, I get a double blessing. Now, I'm going to Revelation 11. And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand, two hundred, and threescore, twelve hundred and sixty days, clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees. I'll do this next Wednesday. These are the two olive trees, and the two candlesticks standing before the Lord, before the God of the earth. If any man will hurt them, Fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy. And have power over waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with plagues as often as they will. And when they shall have finished their testimony... The beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. Their testimony is not finished, but the enemy overcomes them, which tells me it's not the church. Because the Bible said the gates of hell aren't going to prevail against the church. But the enemy does prevail against these two witnesses. These men are not in the church. They're Jewish witnesses. Here's verse 8. And their bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. You know where that is. And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry. And shall, this is a fascinating verse. This is the only verse I can find in the book of Revelation where rejoicing is on the earth. A lot of rejoicing in the New Jerusalem. This is the only place in the book of Revelation where rejoicing is on the earth and it's about these two guys got killed because these two prophets tormented them. I bet they did. That dwelt on the earth. It's, here's verse 11. After three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them and they stood upon their feet and great, I guess so, and great fear fell upon them which saw them. And they heard a great voice saying, come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud and their enemies beheld them. Two witnesses. This is after the church is taken. Two witnesses are in Jerusalem. They're slain. The Bible says, the whole world song, which wasn't possible years ago. It's very possible now to see it in real time. But when you look at lots of opinions, who's the two witnesses? Lots of opinions. I've read a lot of books on this. But look at verse five and six. Five and six talks about four gifts that are given to help us identify who these two witnesses are. Number one, they, they got the power they can call fire from heaven. Number two, they can shut the heaven so that it doesn't rain. Sound familiar? 
They can turn water into blood. They can call all manner of plagues to come upon the earth. You tell me who called fire down from heaven. I can only find one guy. Everybody knows what Elijah did at Mount Carmel. This is 2 Kings 1 and 10. And Elijah answered and said to the captain of 50, if I be a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and consume thee and your 50. And there came down fire from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Again, also the king sent another captain of 50 with his 50 and he answered and said, O man of God, thus hath the king said, come down quickly. And Elijah answered and said unto him, if I'm a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume thee and thy 50. And the fire of God came down from heaven. You get what I'm saying? This guy didn't do it once. He didn't do it twice. Elijah called fire down from heaven three times. The second thing Elijah's famous for is he shut up the heavens and it didn't rain. And one of these two witnesses will shut up the heavens again. So let me ask you a question, class. How long was the drought in the days of Elijah? Remember what I said in James 5 and 17? It was for three and a half years. Look at verse 6 of Revelation chapter 11. These have power to shut heaven that it rain not in the days of their prophecy. So my question is, how long was their prophecy? The answer is in verse 3. And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and three score days clothed in sackcloth. If you're a student of the Bible, a Bible year is 360 days. 1260 days is three and a half years. How long will the drought last when the witness prophesies? Three and a half years. That's why, listen to this phrase. I told you we're going deep. Here's Daniel 12 and 7. And I heard a man, and I heard the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand and his left hand unto heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever that it shall be for a time, times, and a half. Here's Revelation 12 and verse 14. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness into her place, where she is nourished for a time, times, and a half time. I don't have time to flesh this all out, but a time is one year, times is two years, and a half time. It keeps, you're going to read in the Bible, it'll talk about three and a half years, it'll talk about 1260 days, it'll talk about a time, times, and a half time. But it keeps coming up again, and again, and again, and again. Because the exactness of the word is a wonder to study. How long was the drought in the days of Elijah? Three years. How do we know that? James 17 said it and the Lord said it in Luke chapter 4 and verse 25. I tell you of the truth, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias when the heaven was shut up three years and six months. I am convinced that all of this is tied into the ministry of the Lord, which was three and a half years. This is what I want to get across to you. I believe the ministry of the Lord is interrupted. But he said, greater things than these shall you do because I go to my father. The purpose of the church 
is to complete the ministry of Jesus Christ. That's our job to finish this. The church is designed to finish the interrupted work of the Lord. And some people think these witnesses are Enoch and Elijah, but, but, it, but they say it's appointed unto men once to die. And since they didn't die, well, here's my question to them people. Well, then what about Lazarus? How many times did he die? What about the widow's son of Nain? I, I am convinced that the guy who called fire down from heaven and the guy who shut up the heavens for three and a half, I'm convinced that's Elijah. And the guy that could call plagues on the earth and the guy that could make water turn to blood, it's Moses. It's Moses and Elijah. These are the witnesses. So now, even though it's Matthew 17, it really begins right before it. Here's 16 and 28. Verily I say unto you, there shall be some standing here who shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and brought them up to a high mountain apart and was transfigured before them. His face did shine as the sun. His raiment was white as the light. How in the world did these guys know it was Moses and Elijah? I don't know. But they knew it was Moses and Elijah. Peter said, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. John said, we beheld his glory. This is fascinating. Look at Luke 9. And behold, this is the same story. This is Luke's version. And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory, watch, and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. The original word for decease is not just death, it's departure. Do you get what's going on? There's a prophetic discussion going on here between Moses and Elijah and the Lord. Here's what Peter said. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. That's first Peter. Here's second Peter. Moreover, I will endeavor that you may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Not only did Moses and Elijah appear with the Lord on the mount. This is a discussion about his second coming. Now, This is probable. I can't prove this, but I'm close. 
Where was Moses buried? Where was Elijah taken up? Why is Matthew 17 so powerful? Because if you know your Bible, this is where Jesus said, if you'll say to this mountain, be thou removed and shall not doubt in thy heart. Which mountain is he referring to? This is, I've heard this all my life. Jesus took him out to Galilee and he ascended. Oh, really? Let me give you a verse to consider. Here's Mark 9 and verse 30. And they departed thence and passed through Galilee. And he would not that any man should know it. It's hard to be in Galilee if you've already departed from it. They're east of Jordan in what is known as the land of Moab. It's Pisgah. I've never been to Israel. I've always wanted to go. I want to, I want to understand the geography. I want to understand the topography. I want to understand the lay of the land. But I've spent a lot of time on this right here. This is where God buried Moses. This is where Elijah departed. And I'm convinced it's the same place where the Lord left. Because Elijah's departure, it's remember, they had to go across the river. So he's across Jordan, east of Jericho. This is 2 Kings 2 and 4. And Elijah said unto him, Elisha, tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he said, I'm not going to. So they came to Jericho. Where did the Lord bury Moses? Deuteronomy 34 and 6. And he buried him in a valley in the land of Moab over against Beth Peor. But no man knoweth of his sepulcher unto this day. Where is Beth Peor? It's Pisgah. What some people call Nebo. I don't know, what are you talking about, Brother Hoffman? I am convinced that the same place that Moses departed is the same place where Elijah was taken up and is the very same place where the Lord ascended. I can't prove that 100%, but I'm 99% sure I'm right. What are you trying to tell us, Brother Hoffman? I am saying there came a day when Satan went to where God buried Moses and tried to take the body of Moses. And Michael said, watch, I, I, I don't have time to pour this. He didn't bring against him a railing accusation. I wish I had time to talk to you about gossip. Because when you deal with somebody, you need to deal with them personally, not publicly. Because when you deal with it publicly, you're never getting it back. This is one angel saying to another 
fallen angel, the Lord rebuke you. I'm not putting my mouth on you. David wouldn't touch Saul because he had been anointed. But we're really fast to talk about our brothers and our sisters. And the Bible said, speaking evil of dignities. You know what the Greek word for dignity is? Doxa, which means the spirit. Be careful how you talk. Not even Michael would rebuke Satan. He just said, I'm going to leave that up to the Lord. But you ain't getting this body. You know why? Because Matthew 17, where Moses appeared with Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration, is right smack dab in the middle of the land of promise. He got there. It took him a while, but he got there. But you see, Satan didn't want that body showing up with Elijah because there's more to do. I'll talk to you next week about the two olive trees, the two witnesses, the candlesticks who poured out all of their glory and talk to you about the time when Moses and Elijah disappeared and they relinquished all of their glory and they only saw Jesus only. Ladies and gentlemen, I promise you, that if the Lord is convinced about that body continuing that ministry, because there's coming a day when Moses and Elijah are going to Jerusalem and they're not going to be received and somebody's going to kill them and they're going to lay in the street for three and a half days and after three and a half days, them dudes are going to resurrect. Trust me, that's going to make the internet. Trust me, that's going to be on CNN. Damn, but you're gone. Church is gone. I'm telling you, the ministry of Moses is not over. The ministry, that's why Satan wanted that body. He wanted to stop that ministry from doing, finishing what God had called it to do. And if he tried to stop that body, he's going to try and stop this body from trying to accomplish what God has called us to do. But with the help of the Lord, we're not going to allow our ministry to be interrupted. Stand. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the richness of the word of the Lord. Your word said that we were born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed, which is the word of God. I ask you right now, Lord, I've done my best. I've spent hours and hours and hours on this, trying my best to bring something fresh to the people right now. I'm asking you, Lord, to take the richness and the depth of your word that we can get in this thing, that we can study this thing, that we can do more than know that you wept, amen, or, or some of those trifle little verses that people tease us with. I'm asking you, Lord, right now, that you would help us to, be, to, to have depth in your word, to have, you said, you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Not set you free, it'll make you free. And I ask you, Lord, you're not just going to open the gate and give us a chance to get out. You're going to make us free. You're going to get us out of the pen, out of the bondage, out of the things that have chained us for so long. Lord, I'm convinced there is a ministry that you want this church to perform. And not only this church as a corporate unit, but we as individuals. And I'm asking you, Lord, that you guide us and you direct our steps and our mouth. 
to be able to go where we need to go and say what we need to say when we get there so that Satan will not be able to say, I stopped his ministry cold in his tracks. He's not going to do any more because I got the body now. But with the help of the Lord, <laughs> Jesus name. Doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when you will appear, we're going to be like you because we're going to see you just as you are. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's thank him together. Let's thank him together. Oh, Jesus. My dear brother and my dear sister, please. Don't pause your ministry. Please, don't, 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 don't get sidetracked. Don't, do, do, do not get stifled. I, I, I'm here to inspire you tonight. Don't let Satan keep your body where it is right now. God's got a plan for you. Got a plan for this church. And we're going to do our best to fulfill it. I love you. God bless you. Thank you for coming to Bible study. In Jesus' name.